Welcome to the Be Loud About What Matters podcast. I'm Olivia, your host. On this podcast, I will be bringing light to topics that are important but not discussed enough within our society. Episodes will include a range of topics, starting with the journey to conceive, pregnancy, birth, postpartum and motherhood, holistic healing and nutrition, and the importance of true informed consent and medical freedom. The goal of this podcast is to create connections, share stories, information, and resources to educate and empower people in their own personal journey. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Be Loud About What Matters podcast. Tonight, I have two special guests on who I'm super excited to have on with us tonight. I have Dr. Martin Rosen and Dr. Nancy Watson, and they are actually the chiropractors that we bring my daughter to. So welcome to the podcast. So nice to have you guys. It's great to be here with you. Thank you. We love being here. And it's great that you're having us. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So would you each mind telling everyone a little bit about you and like your journey to becoming chiropractors? Sure. So, um, yeah. So we met in 1978 and uh, in Spottenburg, South Carolina. We came from two very different backgrounds. I came from a small town, New Hampshire, and Marty came from New York City. Um, what we had in common is that we were very passionate about natural health care uh, before we got to chiropractic school, and we used chiropractic school as an avenue for us to expand even more so into the natural healthcare field. Um, so even though we came from very different backgrounds, we met, uh, we were very much committed to each other and to chiropractic into that journey together. And we have been together and married for over 41 years. So that's kind of our story. Uh, I mean, you want to say something more? <laughs> you want no, to elaborate? It's true. I don't think, you know, chiropractic, I mean, We've been together for 40, over 41 years of married. I think what's held us together is our values about mm-hmm. health care, yes. about how we raise our children. I mean, we have a lot, like Nancy said, I grew up in New York City. She grew up in Concord, New Hampshire. We have a lot of different likes that we both grew up with. And um, I think the baseline of who we are is kind of our moral and ethical compass and our exactly. views on health care. And that's exactly. really what's kept us together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Would you mind sharing a little bit about like what your views on healthcare are? Because I know that we align because it's pretty much how I feel. And sometimes I feel like people don't necessarily understand like the importance of preventative healthcare and like taking care of yourself and how that all ties into chiropractic care. So it's really, in my world, it's really simple. When I was young, um, my parents brought me to doctors and I did all the kind of things that everybody else did. And there was a point in my life when I was around 17 where I had got injured um, wrestling and the doctor that my parents brought me to was actually still my pediatrician, basically told me at 17 that I should give up sports, that I probably had weak joints. And I figured hanging it up at 17 was a little bit young, especially now <laughs> that I'm 68 and I still haven't hung it up. <laughs> so abuse on healthcare really simply that we trust our bodies. Yeah. We trust our bodies to be able to heal and that, you know, in chiropractic, part of the chiropractic paradigm is to remove interference to the way the body functions, to help it function at its optimal level. So regardless of what else you do, whether it's take supplements, take drugs, um, exercise, whatever it is, our baseline is that keeping the nervous system healthy gives your body its best chance to perform in whatever venue you choose to to participate in. And that's kind of how I was brought up in chiropractic is I do chiropractic care as my baseline and then other things, you know, I may take nutrition, supplements, I do exercise, I do that. But I also, I think the thing that Nancy, I really, really strongly agree with that we've instilled in our kids is that your health is your responsibility no one else's yeah and that's what's really important it's like it's, it's, your it's, it's, it's an inside job yeah but like 
Healing comes from within. And you can support that with things on the outside, but healing is an inside job. It's your body's ability to respond to the environment that you're in. It's again, like, so again, I came from a, a medical background. My parents were, they sent us to medical doctors. And it was like, I just came to, a, maybe I think I was in my, maybe 18 or 19. I discovered yoga and meditation and vegetarianism mm-hmm. and all the things that were very popular in the in the uh, late 70s. Right. Um, and, and it just became, it just became clearer to me that, one route would just take me listening to other people giving me advice of how to live and how to be or i could listen to my own body and let that guide me and not that i'm not open to hearing other suggestions of of people that i respect on the outside but that i have a deep respect for my own body for its ability to heal and i can support that in the ways that i find uh, are life sustaining and you know for us chiropractic is a big part of it very very big part of it we so. always we always find it's interesting so i haven't had a uh, you know pcp for 30 years yeah and i think nancy probably was him so someone a friend of mine you have to get one you have to get one. so finally i went to get one and um you know he did his exam and they take their intake and they said what medications you're on i said well i'm not on any he goes no really what medications you take take <laughs> any i said you just took my blood pressure you just weighed me you just did all these tests he goes i said you're not finding anything wrong. I said, no, I, I don't take it. And it was, it was so outside their paradigm that, and I'm not saying that drugs are bad or drugs are good. They just are what they're used for. And that at certain times, obviously, you know, they may be an important part in what you need to get through a process, but they're not really a healthcare facet. You know, drugs are not about healthcare. Like if you have diabetes, you can take insulin. It's about keeping you alive. Right. So really, we really believe that, um, you know, preventative health care is really the way to go. It's a way to keep your children healthy. It's a way to keep our planet healthy. Yeah. You know, dependence on outside forces to keep you healthy is just a losing battle it is. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it's so nice to hear your perspective and, like, how you guys grew up and how that's kind of molded what you feel about healthcare, and then also you're passing that on to your children because – I feel the same exact way and I feel like everyone thinks that I'm this like earthy crunchy tree hugger. <laughs> and, and you might be. I and I might be. I am. <laughs> I'll, I'll wear, something wrong with that. <laughs> I'll wear that title proudly. But same thing like I remember people asking me about like what medications I'm on and all this and right. I'm like I'm, I don't take anything. And right. everyone is always floored by that because our society is so full of band-aids, whether it's over the counter, uh-huh. prescription, all of these things. And like you said, there's there's a time and a place for it. And sometimes I, you need I, it, I think, but it's not sustainable. I think the, the other piece that drives that that way of thinking is also fear. It's a fear-based. It's like, yes. what happens, what happens, what happens? And, and to me, I would rather let, let something happen and trust my body will heal it. Now, that doesn't mean that when we were raising our children, I remember when Emily was seven or eight, that's our oldest daughter, she fell from a bike and she really tore up her knee. And it was very clear that she was gonna have to have stitches, that she was gonna have to have some medical intervention. And it's like, that's exactly when it's used for. It's It's like, so yeah, so I think that I think that's probably, that's probably, that's probably NSTAR. It's, so I think that's the piece that, um, and we raised our children this way. What we did when we, our children were little is that we surrounded them with families that thought like us. So yes. it's, it's, and so we would get together and we had a community of people so that they also had peers that thought like that, that had the same thing. So when they got older, they choose what they do. I mean, right. they, 
you know, some they have taken big pieces of our lifestyle and other pieces they have left behind. What I find yeah. is interesting is kind of what you said too. People think of you like you're a tree hugger. Well, I haven't hugged a tree. I haven't hugged a tree since 1968. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hug trees anymore. But the, the bottom line is, it makes you feel like you're a cult if you're outside of the joke culture. You know, I was just listening to yes. something on, on on a podcast the other day, and they were talking about there's only two countries in the entire world that allow drugs to be advertised on to the general yes. public. Yeah, the general public. It's us and New Zealand. Right? Yes. I don't know why New Zealand, but we're the only two countries. So people, you know, it's great. you see people skipping across the field, healthy, happy, and then the only reason they can do that is because they have Allegra, you know? <laughs> well, how do you spell relief? And, and it's just, so it's imbued within our very beings that drugs make you happy, make you healthy, keep you safe. And the fear thing is exactly what, you know, Nancy is talked about i know that my dad never took care of himself and that was just his choice he basically thought when your number is up your numbers up and he got right. really sick one time in a hospital um had a really bad infection it was a staph infection and when i went to visit him he said why can't they get this why can't they kill this i know they're going to kill this and he had been on three different antibiotics he had, you know and i was like i saw the fear the first time in his eyes but i also saw that he had no internal mechanism to deal with it himself he wanted them to, to fix, fix it. it whoever they were which were his doctors um and that's what he was looking for for them to fix it and to, you know and I, I didn't judge him for it i mean I was, he was my dad i loved him i was there you know but i watched this process of somebody who was indoctrinated and brought up in a society where if something hurts if something's wrong you fix it from the outside because he was never willing to change his diet exercise i mean he had no no mm -hmm. ideology based on that he thought i was crazy wasting my life like taking care of myself <laughs> right um, but, but the fact of the matter is, yeah, we're not a cult, it's just a different paradigm. Exactly. It really is. It's just a different paradigm to be able to know that healing comes from within and, and to deal with it, you know, and it's it's that old story, you know, people think about germs are bad and germs are good, and it's like, germs are all around us. Right. How your body reacts to those germs or viruses is based on how healthy the body is. Right. Um, yeah, you know, and so it's really, and it doesn't ever mean that you will never need help or I've never taken a drug mm -hmm. in my life. I, I broke my hip several years ago, and I'll tell you. Um, it, it's it painkillers work. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good <laughs> for about a week. But yeah, because, you know, I tried to do that. I figured, oh, I'm just going to, I took them for one day, you know, and then they said, I'm not going to take them anymore. And then it was like, man, where, where is <laughs> where, Where'd you put that? <laughs> so yeah, so everything has its place. It's just, people can't get that there's other paradigms. Yeah. I think that's true, like in our political spectrum, people don't allow other people to and have I, yeah, I would I would like to say that in terms of recent history, like so, um, you know, March of 2020, when we're getting information about a new virus, I paid attention. It's like, okay, this is something new. I need to pay attention. I've traveled to third world countries, so I know what serious disease looks like and things right. that can really kill you. So I paid attention. And by my own, my own body and what I thought, I was like, okay, I think I am fine. You know, I am in the category. I'm 70, so it's like I'm older. I'm 70. I'm 69. Well, I'm almost 70. I don't have any <laughs> comorbidities that I know of, but uh, I decided that I wasn't going to be afraid. Right. And I decided that I'm not going to be afraid of this. I will be smart, uh, but I won't be afraid. Right. So, you know, I did things to protect myself, but I didn't walk in fear. And and I felt like, especially in our practice, where we were open the whole time and actually working longer than we usually do because no other place was open. I wanted to be a contradiction to what I saw 
in everyone's eyes. Yes. Because, and, and I thought, you know, it's like you need to get information about anything. If you travel someplace, you need to know where you're going. You need to know how you need to prepare for it. And I feel like that felt that way when I first heard about this virus. And, and honestly, it's it was a nasty virus. I, I almost lost my best friend to it. So I didn't take it lightly, but I wasn't afraid of it. Yeah. I felt like if I took the precautions and had things that I needed to take, you know, take care of myself that I would be okay with it. So um, I think that's an important piece that, um, that well, I think fear-based fear anything brings you into low grade centers exactly. and yes. makes you less adaptable. It's as simple as that. And makes you at the keep effect of other people's keep, thinking. As well. I'm not, I was talking to Nancy and she's right. We, we have not closed a day, you know, because of the COVID epidemic. We've been open the whole time. We may take some short vacations, but we had patients who had been in their houses for three, four months, wouldn't come out. And when they came out, I swear they looked 10, 12 years older. Mm -hmm. yeah. They were just, because they were so afraid and they were coming in and just, you know, some of them, that was the first time they came out was to come to our office to get adjusted. And they looked petrified. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, we followed the rules that we didn't have our waiting room open or reception. People came up, but they were still like, they're looking over their shoulder. And we have, you know, separate adjusting rooms. And, and you know, and not, there are things to be afraid of in life. Right. And, but viruses mutate faster than we will ever mutate. Yeah. So it's, it's learning to live with it. It's learning to take care of yourself. It's, and I do think that living in the lower brain centers makes you susceptible to more fear-based uh, propaganda. Yes. So uh, I think that's an, just an example of, now, but if I were to be honest, if I was traveling someplace where there was a disease that I don't think I could adapt to, I probably wouldn't go. I'm, yeah. I'm not I'm not reckless, right? <laughs> but uh, but I, I just feel like uh, it's just being smart. Well, there's a difference between actually using your frontal brain, your frontal cortex, and making cautious decisions than reacting from a gut reaction from your primal brain. Yeah, right? it's really just that simple. If you stay in that primal brain mm -hmm. state, you stay in a fight or flight state, and I think that's what happens a lot in our society. And then when you try and talk to somebody rationally who's in a fight or flight state, it becomes a contentious issue, right. which is again what's happening right now. It's like I'm protecting everybody. You know, I'm in this fight or flight state. I'm protecting. I'm guarding. And anything you say that's going to come up against that, basically, I'm going to attack you because yeah. I'm in a fight or flight state. Yeah. And so I and I, and I kind of want to segue from that into what has happened to babies being born into a fight or flight yeah. state. Yeah. And that that is yeah. that is really you know kind of sad. It's really what we're seeing. I mean, so I remember, and there was a woman back in the 70s that I followed, and her whole thing was, you know, birth of nonviolent birth. So now the babies yes. are born into an open space, you know, their hands are welcoming to the world and, and how to create that space for it. So there was all kinds of stuff that came out, you know, of natural birth stuff, and it was all great. We're so far removed from that right now, and children are being born in such an extreme sympathetic state that, um, that's kind of what we're seeing and and i want what, what drives me around that is that is not normal no like i i'm just not going to let that sit and say okay this is just how it's going to be babies are going to come contracted and tight and that's going to be the norm it's not the norm babies are not meant to be born like that no. so i think that's a piece that i kind of like to segue because that's yeah. really what a lot of our work is is in pediatrics it's right and, yeah, yeah yeah I, you know the, we, what we do in society we quantify things and then if, and if we quantify the numbers high enough then we make it normal exactly yeah and it's not you know, it's great things like, you know, flagellocephaly or flat head syndrome or colic or, you know, and everything. You know, there's a whole list of things that kids come in with now right. that we see that is much more prevalent than it used to be. You know, they say American Pediatric Association says 47% of kids are born with some kind of cranial distortion. 
That's half the kids. Yeah. And so they just put out this number and everybody nods. Oh, yeah, 47%. I know. Like, well, 54% <laughs> healthy human services, 54% of our kids have chronic illness. I'm like, okay, that's more than 50% of our kids have chronic illness. Do we want to look at why this happens? Like, we can't normalize things because of numbers. No, exactly. You know, exactly. We can't, if we watch a society deteriorate, then that's a problem. You know, it's like I, I always use that analogy. You know, we want people watch the Olympics. I said, if we watch the Olympics every year and every year people got slower, swam slower, didn't jump as high, like they got worse and worse and worse. And we keep, we go, oh, this is great. Look at the human condition. We're getting worse. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's okay in our, in our healthcare and our kids. That's okay. Yeah. And say that it's common. You know, it's okay that they're sicker. It's okay that they're more stressed. It's okay that they have more cranial distortions. Yeah. And so, it's okay, and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, so when I was a new mother and I did not claim I knew anything, but what I wanted, what I sought for and for looking for information is information about what you know, what I should be looking for, for milestones. And like every parent wants to know that, how's my kid doing? Is my kid on track? Is, you know, right. so I had those questions. And so that was a, a thing that drove me. I, and so I sought out books that would help me understand, um, you know, just what to expect. Cause I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I could have a, a number of degrees, but when my baby was born, I was like, okay, now what? You know? Yeah. So I, uh, so I think for us, like it was in, it was in February of 2020, we were teaching our last seminar before COVID shut us down in Texas. And we we always travel with a, a doll and we forgot to bring our doll. So we went into a toy store and I took pictures of what I saw. I couldn't buy any of the dolls. They were tight. They were contracted. Their heads were flat. They had head tilts. And I'm going, where's the soft babies that you that you want your baby to or your, you know, someone to hold? Right. And, and, and so I'm looking, I said, so the toy industry has taken this from what is becoming common. They're taking these distorted faces, distorted head shapes, contracted, and none of them were normal. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not bringing a doll like this. And, and it's like, I'd have to fix it. So I think that was a driving force for me to really think about, we cannot make something that, that's common, normal. We right. can't let little girls or little boys hold dolls that are so distorted and think, wow, this is what babies look like. They're right. not supposed to look like that. And, you know, so I think that's a, been a, a, a big piece so for us like during covid you know we are very active people we were shut down we did go to work a lot but we missed our travel so yeah. we sat down for about three months in winter last winter and wrote a book just about that just about what is common versus what is normal and what as a parent you can look for not only in milestones um and uh but also in primal reflexes primary developmental yeah. Um, issues, but also in but, but also in cranial distortions, which right. is kind of, kind of something that we're really into. It's something that that uh, it's it's a big. Well, you also of. see so much flagellocephaly breakdown. Exactly, and you also see the thing. So you know, the name of the book is called "It's All in the Head." All right, and what we're really talking about is that eighty percent of the central nervous system is in your brain, mm -hmm. and so when we start to look at things that parents are told to do or they do with their kids, whether if they're too busy, you know, keeping a kid in a car, you know, we see these. I mean, from when we grew up, car seats and strollers we were not. Seats. I mean, we had a car seat that we would, you know, we had an umbrella stroll, which basically meant it folded up on your child. Yeah. Um, but now I see these people like I just had a little a mom come in and her baby had had gone for a fitting. For the car seat fitting and a stroller fitting, a specific fitting for ergonomic fit. Yes, I know. For this child <laughs> who's going to be that ergonomic place for three months and then they're going to completely change their spinal structure. But anyhow, but the point I'm making is so people put their kids in these car seats 
They put their kids in strollers. They're busy. I get it. People work, you know, or they put them in those jolly jumpers, which are which are really damaging to kids. You don't yeah. want two, three, four months old jumping up and down like this. That's like a whiplash. You know, that's a whiplash ride. Besides all the other things, so so people. But a lot of people do don't know that. There's a lot. They never of, know that. I know. Who's going to tell them that? The toy industry. Yeah, I mean, I remember with with my daughter, like I. She, we did tummy time. We did all the things. I never, I didn't want any of the swings. I didn't want any of the contraptions. We did have a jumper. And then I was like, this doesn't sit well with me. So I started researching it. And then I found all of these things and I started talking to people about it. And they're like, no, it's fine. Just put them in there. I'm like, no, I'm not going to keep doing that. I mean, we are, our, our go-to was our oldest daughter who was quite rambunctious. We had a swing. And if it got really bad, we put her in a little swing and so she would swing back and forth. <laughs> just so we could get a moment. I mean, I get it. So I get it. But it was a swing, you know, it wasn't a jumper and but, we but I but I want it. but I want to say something about that because I'm always like, okay, so especially with your first you're so every mom is so idealistic. I always say write down all the things that you're not going to do put it somewhere and then cross them off probably all before the six months of life because that's just the reality you're you're a mother doing what you have to do wishing the best for your child and and we all make mistakes but it's the big things it's the stuff that's pre-programmed in the nervous system that we don't want to make mistakes about so so like so this spring when the cdc announced their new guidelines and eliminated something crawling as a development and we're like no this is this is the human experience we cannot change what's pre-programmed and if we are attempting to then we're going down a direction that i don't think is a good direction so so for me um we're going to make mistakes whether it put them in jotting jumpers or you know whatever you're going to do the wrong facing out facing in all the questions you have um i don't think any parent consciously hurts their child right any healthy parent consciously hurts their child but but the thing about the c it's perfect example so the cdc their rationale behind changing the guidelines was simply that they now were finding that only 50 percent of the kids met the proper milestones and so instead of thinking well why are kids not meeting milestones that have been there for you know years and years and years and years and years Instead of doing that, what we're going to do is we're going to lower the bar for the milestones. Right. And so they lower the bar. So now 75% of the kids pass and everybody's happy. I'm like, what? That's, not That's like going to school right. and saying, okay, 65 is passing and you go to your classes and I'm and in the school, you know, you find out that only 50% of the people are passing. That doesn't look good. You won't get government loans. So what you do is you lower the bar and say, okay, passing is now 55. Right. And now you have 75%. Of the, it's, it's. It's such so, a rational thought so, process. So that we can be incredibly frustrated at the the CDC or you know the FDA or all the people that are making these decisions that are affecting our children's health. It's our job. Oh, we. I like to see is our job as as chiropractors in healthcare is to let people know that there is options. There's there's options. Yeah. There's options and there's information out there. And you may be out on your own, but you know. Put this, at least now we have internet. In my day, I had no internet. I was looking for like-minded people. Yeah. You can put it out there and there are people that you can create groups um, to, to support each other. So the people that are choosing something else, and there are many of them, um, you don't have to participate it's, in them. It's right. also, I always wonder why people are so afraid of people with other exactly. opinions. I know. Like, what, so is the, like, why do, you know like, there are a lot of people that have different opinions that I, that I do. And Same. though I know they're all wrong, I'm still... <laughs> <laughs> still accept what they would have to say without being adamantly opposed or denigrating them in any particular way, shape, yes. or form. It's like 
there's different. Yeah, it's different when your opinion is violent or affecting society or people in a negative way. Right. But if my opinion is that I like blue and you like red, and I paint my house blue and you paint your house red, and we're going to fight about that. That's it, and that's what it kind of is getting to now. It you is. Know? Oh, it, is. it is. And you're right. And you know, like you have a young child, and we we have our children are old, you know, much older now, but. We see the things that, and you will too, as your child, as your daughter gets older, she'll embody the pieces in you that resonate with her. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, it's a, it's an old joke, but sometimes I remember when my uh, older daughter was like 32 and I had a conversation with her, and she's very intense, very bright young woman. And I said to her, I said, why did you pick and choose all the negative parts of her personality? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you could have chosen some other. And, and I was kidding with her, but the fact is, what, whatever you taught and teach your children, it's going to be how their nervous system resonates Forever. with you and how, and how they're going to embody it. I mean, my parents, like, that's the parents, they, we both grew up in very classical, um, you know, raised classically, classically, we had no really different nothing way genetically. There was nothing alternative. My father, you know, when I first gave up eating meat at 20, my father thought I was absolutely insane. <laughs> you know, I think he waited his entire life for me to go out and, you know, like kill a cow, skin it, and eat it, again, <laughs> yep. which it didn't happen. But it was, you know, it's just like, but the parts of him that I did resonate with was his ability to stick to his belief system. Right. And Mine I, was just different. You know what I'm saying? So you resonate I, with those yeah, so parts. Something about something, because now that we are parents of, of grown children, we see the pieces that they took. And I think that's a really a good point. It's like, make the best decisions that you can based on the best information that you have. Yes. Um, and your children will absorb what they absorb. So for us, you know, we were very much into natural health. Um, we didn't have any sugar or any of that stuff in our house. So yeah. our kids would tell us how they would go hunting for it. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating because they could do a stand-up stand up app <laughs> about, about what they did to get donuts and what they did to get, you know, and we're like, really? Right, and the Halloween and candy that we thought we threw out. And, yeah. they would and, and, and we're like, wow, you were so ingenious and we didn't even see that. But I will say, I will say when they when they became a reason, like when they, my yeah, daughter, my, my, no, when they're like, like young adults, my I'm, I'll never forget, my uh, older daughter called me. She was in her car driving from New York City. She had just taken this nutrition course, and she was actually crying. And she says, Mom, she says, you worked so hard on building my body with the best material that you had. She goes, thank you so much. Aww. Because it's true. Because as a mother, as, as a mother, you know, caring or, or carrying a baby, you're building that baby through your nervous system and through your own nutrition. Yes. And certainly, and certainly the decisions that you make in those first few years of life before they cannot make decisions. I mean, that's a huge responsibility. And for me, um, I, I took it very responsible and I wanted to make sure that their body was built from the best sources of food that I could find at the time. Right. And so, yeah, did I make mistakes? Absolutely. Was I too rigid? No. Probably. But but the truth is she saw the intention behind it and she thanked me for it. Yeah. You know, she said, yeah. you know, she thanked me. So I didn't care if she's a teenager out there eating stuff that I wouldn't approve of. Right. I expected it. They expected right. it. You know? Well, yeah, it's like t circling back to what you were saying about yeah. like the birth situation and how children are coming into the world and they're coming into yes. the state of fear. I mean, it's all tied into our nervous system. And I've been That's talking right. about this initially when I started this podcast, it was specifically focused on pregnancy and birth. And so I spent right. a lot of time talking about why it's so important for mothers to take care of themselves, why it's uh -huh. important for moms not to feel stressed because their babies right. feel that. And when you were talking about the different head shapes and talking about like, right palate expansion like that has so much to do with diet and nutrition and people have no idea of course of course and well, so you know, i'm sorry go ahead. no 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 it's okay go ahead so if you go to so the pain so if you break down life 
there's two things you do. You seek things that are pleasing or pleasure, and you avoid things that are painful. Yes. I mean, that's kind of what we do. Well, the, pe- the, the ability to distinguish pleasure and pain occurs in the third trimester during pregnancy. So the, the fetus, the infant, whatever you want to call it at that point, by the third trimester, they actually can get a sense from the outside world, from the, their inner world and what's happening, what causes pain and what causes pleasure. They already can develop that sense. So you're talking in utero, just what you said, in utero, they're already developing that. And so the whole process, you know, when you talk about the birth process, it comes out you know, air quotes, an emergency C-section, yeah. the intensity around that affects the baby. And I'm not saying they're never necessary. Obviously, sometimes they're yeah, necessary. Yeah, I, I, will say, I will say that in an emergency situation, you take what you get. So in other words, if I am in a car accident and they have to yank me out of a car and, you know, they may dislocate my shoulder, but it's an emergency situation. And, and then you'll patch yourself um, up after that. The same thing happens in the birth process. So right. a baby that's being born in an emergency situation, they're going to have things already to deal with in uh, programmed into their into their body. And for us, that's one of the things that we like to unwind that. Like we we know that if we can get to that nervous system and those formative, you know, first, first especially, especially the first year of life, first two years of life, that you can actually get to the primary issue and unwind it. As you get older, um, it's not possible. It gets buried. Yeah, you compensate. It, it gets, right. You compensate. And that's okay. Compensations are great. We are all a mass amount of compensations from this, you know, all of us. But it's those those first two years of life where you can actually unwind the nervous system, get to that primary lesion or compensation or whatever you want to call it so that the the baby has the best chance, what we call human potential. Because we don't know each child's potential is different. So we don't know what that child's potential is, but we know that if they have a compensation right from the beginning, their whole life will be uh, affected by that. I mean, we kind of see chiropractic as neurological therapy. Yeah. You know, when you go to a therapist and you start unwinding your life and you start killing off the lays, you're trying to get to why you're where you're at at that moment in time. Well, the same thing we do, especially when we deal with infants and children, is we're trying to get to the primal insult. The older you are, the farther away you are from that, the more time it takes. Yeah. So if a person, you know, a 40-year-old comes into our office because they bent over to pick up a bag of groceries in the car and then they're crippled. It wasn't the bag of groceries that did it. It was a whole process that probably went all the way back to sometime before they were age seven. I was, because most primary compensatory patterns occur in the first two and sometimes first six years of life, but in that period of time. So our job, especially in the pediatric world, is to be as close to that time when the primary insult occurs and to retrace it neurologically as best we can so that nervous system is no longer working in a compensatory state. Right. It's really that's what we do. When you guys were when you guys were saying that, like how much if you're an adult and you just start getting chiropractic care, I was literally gonna say I have two people in my life who have been going or weren't going, same situation, bent over, tried to pick something up, back was immediately all messed up, and they were like, I don't know what I did. And I was like, well, you probably need to take better care of yourself. <laughs> but it probably it, didn't happen it wasn't in that moment. It was a 10-pound bag of groceries right. Whole Foods. It was more probably what that 10-pound bag of groceries cost you at Whole Foods. <laughs> That's probably the problem really True. was. So, I mean, if we want to focus a little bit, like, on the pediatric, I mean, if we want yeah, to Yeah, I would love to get that. into that. Yeah. 
Because well, because I'm thinking because I'm thinking is those are the first two years of life are, are so crucial. And like what you were saying, like when a baby comes out with a cranial distortion or you have a cranial distortion from birth, you're right. It affects the whole structure, which again we see it all the time with tongue tie. Like I know yes. tongue tie maybe existed when we were raising our children. We have no memory of it. No one we know. I and mean, there are certain people that had tongue tie, and but not like it is now. It's and that's prevalent. why I question things. Like when you were yep. saying, like why is everybody just like not questioning why we have so many tongue ties. Yeah, right. we should be questioning that. Or why why babies nurse on one side, not the other? Yeah, why babies yes. why babies spit up? Why they drool? All of these things. Um, why they have colic? It. Exactly. Why, why was the number one drug two years ago prescribed to kids? Prilosec. Yes. Six month old. Yeah. Why is that the number one drug prescribed to infants? That's insane. There's that, that's and insane. what's the other one? Um, Zantac. No, there's another one they were talking about recently that all has to do with the digestive system. And I'm just drawing a blank on the name. I think it starts with an M, but it's just that's like yes. it's the same. It's an antacid basically, but it's the same. It's the same family of Zantac, Prilosec, yeah. and um, of course now you like migraine. Yeah, this but yeah, it's the same. It's the same. Me, 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 oh. Doesn't matter. So what? So so what? We'll I, find I don't. What, what we? I should what, just Google it while no, I'm not, not, So what we have? What, what we have is a situation of a baby being born into a state of emergency. Oh, Miralax. Sorry. Miralax. Miralax. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, so they can go. So they can they can have a bowel movement. Yes. Right? Yes. Right. So, so babies are born into a state of emergency in a flight or flight situation, sets off all of their primal reflexes. You have a mother, let's say, let's hopefully she has recovering faster. But right. if a baby, but if a baby's in distress, no one in that family is not being affected by it. It's, right. it's, it's, it's a family issue. So, you know, if a baby's not nursing um, and the baby's crying, no one's sleeping, sleep deprivation makes people crazy. So it's, it's a family situation. Um, so I think that's an important piece that uh, it's sad sometimes that it's happened to us more than once where a mom comes in, yes. the baby hasn't slept for more than an hour and a half, anytime yeah. during the day. And she, she comes in for the exam and she looks and she goes, if I knew it was going to be like this, I never would have had a child. <sighs> no. And that's really painful. It's and very luckily, sad. When we get to it that young, you know, they'll come back, you know, two months later after they've been under care, they go, this is a new child. This yeah. is this just happened to us with, a, with a, um, a dad. He's a patient. He brings his older daughter in. He just, his wife just had twins. And one of the babies has been inconsolable since birth. Mm. And he, he, you can see the stress that it's causing the family. And he finally brought the baby in. And, you know, we did our first adjustment. And he came back in and he goes, it's a new child. You know, because the stress was so. But and he, he, said, he, but, but he said, he goes, he goes, thank you, thank you for giving us a break. Yeah. yeah. So do you? So so as to do, do parents think that this is normal? Right. Like it's normal that your child never sleeps, that it cries unconsolable, that and 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 then you miss that whole bonding. And I don't know when you make that up. You like, can't. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you're holding a newborn and you're wishing that that baby was never born. When do you? When do you get that moment of that euphoria? I mean, I remember euphoria. Yeah. when my babies were born. It was like, well, this felt magical to me. So I feel like, I feel, but we see it all the time. We see mothers that are just, so, they're so stressed. So the mother's stressed, the baby's stressed, well, they're both in a sympathetic state. Um, so I think it's really important that we unwind the nervous system and and hopefully, you know, uh, give them a, a, a better right. beginning because- uh, And I think also with, with babies and, and moms, I see this often. And actually there was an MD that just wrote an article, which I printed and brought to the office about um, basically bowel movements. 
Yeah. People get really hung up on like how often or how, you know, how it's supposed to happen. Everybody has a different opinion and there is a different trajectory for different kids depending on what type of food they eat and how they eat. But yeah, if a kid hasn't had a bowel movement in 14 days, that's a problem. Yes. But if they don't have a bowel movement every day, that might not be a problem. You know, there are other factors that we have to learn. That's part of the thing that we do and when we teach in our seminars is what we teach people an indicator system to really determine when someone's nervous system is not functioning or is functioning correctly. Because not everybody's going to have the same trajectory in life. Not every kid's going to sleep six hours. Right. Not every kid's going to have a bowel movement, you know, or two bowel movements every day. You know, none of that's going to happen, but you have to get a sense and have to have some kind of paradigm where you don't just say it's normal or what you want to say is that it's okay. It's functioning yeah. correctly. And that's just this kid's way of expressing their, basically their being. Yeah, we don't want to get to a point that that's a good point where we actually start determining what is normal for that child. Right. We know that there's pre-programmed things that we expect things to happen. But there are time frames um, but there, involved. Yeah, there's time frames involved. And, and we really love the individuality of each child. I mean, we don't, not, not everyone, it's like in our office, not everyone gets treated the same. I mean, because their nervous system is different than the one that was in, you know, that came in before them. So I think that's a really good point. And we teach that because some people get like really hooked in like, well, my child has to be like this. And we're like, no, your child's going to be an expression of who right. they are. Right. And, and we're going to facilitate that um, in the best way you can. But, you know, it's... I, I remember a little boy came in. He came in. They brought him in at birth and um, started taking care of him. And around 11 months, he still wasn't quite walking. Now, there's a time frame that you should be able to be walking. It's basically 11 to 17 or 18 months right. in that time frame. And this kid had a huge head, and I huge. did not have to tell the mother that. <laughs> she was very clear about that. And so around 12, 13 months, the pediatrician started getting her nervous. And I said, no, look, we've been tracking a child since he's born. He's hit all his milestones. The real reason he can't walk without a balance, and then he walks in a balanced mode is because his head is so big. Yeah. He's got to catch up to it. And they were freaking out. I said, he's going to walk soon. Don't worry. And at 14 and a half months, months he just thought you know he was walking he was fine because oh, yeah. his body put up to his head the kid had a huge head that and now he's literally my he's same normal. experience normal. Right. <laughs> he looks normal but you know I, you know and he's fine and he's great and he's neurologically yeah. completely sound very, 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 very bright, bright. Very bright. Or as some people like to say precocious which means he's so bright that you want to you know smack you're smart i'll get out of here but regardless well, the fact is, like, so you have to have these kind of parameters to be able to, to, to determine that. You right. know, you just can't write something off that, okay, if you kid, I remember a guy brought his kid in, he was an MD. He brought his kid at 18 months of age. The kid was not crawling, was not standing. And he, this is his third kid, and he went to his medical doctors and they said, don't worry, he'll catch up. And he came in and I told him what I found. He goes, look, I don't know what you guys do. You know, your chiropractor, he was actually a neurosurgeon. And he goes, but my profession told me that my kid is okay at 18 months, not being able to stand or walk at all. And, all, and he said, I know he's not going to catch up. So do whatever you do. Do whatever you do. And we did. <laughs> but but yeah, because he just, he had no place else to go. And he knew, in, well, first of all, he had other kids, but he knew intuitively that 18 months, if you're not able to stand up and walk, you're not catching up. Yeah. That's a problem. You know? I was going to ask you guys if you see, because what I've found in people that I talk to specifically with mothers, because I've had a lot of mothers come to me on Instagram or like within our mom group who are like, my baby's been inconsolable. My baby's not sleeping, like what you were just saying. And it seems like the husbands are far more 
cautious about chiropractic care. So I was just yes. curious if you guys see that. And yes. if there's if you feel like there's a way that we can kind of break that stigma, because when we're talking about how it impacts the whole family and how it stresses the mother and the baby and the father or the other kids, and if you're going to not allow that to potentially be looked at to see if that's oh, going to help everyone? Like, oh. is there a way that we can? Well, it's it's that? interesting. I'm going to let him address that specifically, but I will say what's different. Like when we first opened our practice back in the, uh, the 80s, um, <laughs> it, it was a family practice and usually the adults came in first. But because and and then they brought their children in. We're in a flip thing now, and that's what's hard. Okay. Like I think of a, I think if an adult has an experience of a chiropractic, and hopefully not a negative one. I mean, if they think that we're going to be, you know, twisting the baby's neck, I can see why they yes. would be very afraid. Yes. I can see that, and honestly, I think that's a reasonable a reasonable feeling. I think they're just uneducated as to what pediatric chiropractors do. It's a special yes. training. Um, and if they, if I would be terrified of bringing my child to a chiropractor that I thought was going to manipulate them, but I think that's what. What's different is that um, when we first opened, it was a family practice, and and okay. the parents had an experience with their nervous system being first. affected, and they and so I. But now because of the internet and and parents are so looking for help with their children, it's the reverse, and and okay. we it's, so it's a, it's a little bit harder. But you can talk about what you're going to say. So, taking the chance of you not getting too many calls about this. Um, this, this guy who's talking about how men are in certain ways. The, the <laughs> fact of the matter is that men are protectors of their children. Yes. And if they don't know what I do, like I have seen, even when a husband and wife comes in, and the the wife may be holding the baby, and on the first adjustment, the wife will be the person holding the baby, and the husband will literally be over my shoulder watching what I do. Yeah. You know, and if the baby starts going, so part of that's a protective mechanism. Secondly, men tend to be less apt to take care of themselves in a healthcare space when they don't have a symptom. Yes, so if you bring okay. a baby in that number one doesn't have a symptom or it's not proven that we can deal with the symptom, they're going to be definitely more um, leery of the process. And definitely. it's just the way we're built. You know, it's really the way men are built around that. And so they're going to protect the baby more. They're going to be less apt to do something that's going to be affect the child's optimal potential. You know, they're going to, and they're going to, they want to see results they want to see and they results. want to make sure the kid's not hurt. So yeah, I have, I have had parents who have had a fight to bring their children in. Yeah. And finally, when the children got the results, the, the husband let, you know, let stop hassling the wife, but the husband still never came in. So the wife would come in. I have a lot of families with the wife, have a lot three of kids come in, or the wife and four kids. And we just got another family. The wife and two kids came in, and they've been coming in for a year. And finally, finally, the husband decided he's going to try it. But he had an issue. Yeah. You know, he had a problem that he came in, and he tried it, and he, he's been very happy. So, so I think it's just part of not every male, but a lot of males' paradigm that it chiropractic doesn't quite fit it. Okay. Um, you know, yeah, and and you can and if you talk to the medical world, there are more men. I mean, men die of heart attacks more because they don't go take like have chest pain. They go, I'm going to go out and chop the wood anyhow. Yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to mow the lawn. I'm going to shovel the snow. It's okay. That's kind of part of the training. That's um, true. So they're going to ignore stuff. You know. Yeah. I mean, I'm known for that. My daughter always hassles me about you know about that. I mean, I, I played a lot of sports, so I broke a lot of things, and I just kept doing it. You know, and that's just kind of how we're built a little bit. But yeah. I, but I but again, um, I think 
I, I don't know. I don't know any fathers that actually prevent their children from coming in. I don't. We've know. had that. Well, we've had. We've had. No, I, I, what I'm saying, had, but I'm, we, uh, we may have one or two exceptions. Yeah, okay. But I. But but we have those mothers bringing their children in, and we're fine with that. Yeah. I mean, because the truth is, if they go home and their baby's feeding, or the and the wife is not as stressed, and and on the baby's sleeping, you know, if they don't want to give credit to us, and we've had that all the time, like, well, that's just a coincidence. That's okay, but. They have to acknowledge that something's happened in their family. We have one woman I'm particular, and of course I can't want to say much other than that she really hides that she comes into the, the chiropractic office uh, as often as she does from her husband because he doesn't like it. He doesn't like his kids coming. But this, the kids are healthy, yeah. and she keeps pointing out, look at their, they didn't have allergies this year. Do you know what I mean? And and so, you know, and and but he's just not ready to listen that this he thinks it's a coincidence. Yeah. You know, so and that and what are you gonna do about that? That's not that's that's a, a hill I'm not willing to climb. Really. It's a it's a harder yeah. it's definitely a harder educational process um now also because just as Nancy said, you know, we used to build our practice from the parent down to the child. Now so many people bring their children in and they're not even under chiropractic care. So they go on the internet, oh chiropractic can help with colic. Oh, chiropractic can help with ear infection. Oh right. chiropractic right. help with ADD, you know, whatever the list is, and they'll bring their kid in to give it a try. Right. Um, and so That's it's a heart. backward educational process. You know, and we also always found like when the parent and the child was under care, there was a symbiotic relationship mm -hmm. within the nervous system that, that really does make a difference. It makes a connection. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of that. Yeah. But well, I'm glad that you guys explained those perspectives because I think that's accurate. I think that's true. I just didn't think of it from that from yeah. that direction. So I'm glad that you said that, and I'm I'm sure that people listening will probably agree with that also. There's, but there's one there's one more thing about the, about that though. So when a father comes in, and and like I'm thinking of this new one with his two daughters, oh, yeah. he's blown away. Like he just goes, he doesn't know what we do, but yeah. he goes, you have made our life so much easier. Yeah. And and, and he thinks it looks like magic. And it's yeah. not magic, but, but I'm like- Well, he's a pharmacist. He's a pharmacist. So it doesn't oh, look okay. magic, yeah. I'm not going to kill. So it is. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, yeah, like when I was explaining to like our family or our friends that I was bringing my daughter in, people were like, why? What's wrong? What's wrong with her? Like, what is What's what does she have her? going on? Why are you bringing her in? And I'm like- to get her looked at, to get to make sure that she's as balanced as possible. And they're like, oh, I thought you only went to the chiropractor if something was really wrong. And so it's just, again, like we were saying, like lack of education, lack of understanding of like what chiropractic care actually entails and specifically for kids. So, I mean, we kind of started talking about like the pediatric care through the years, but are there certain things that you feel like people should know? Yeah. I, so people always ask me, when should I bring my child in to get checked? Yeah. And my answer is always, as soon as you are able. Yeah. And because you bring a child, when the child is born, they check them in the hospital or at home, wherever it is, or the doula or the midwife checks them. And then you go to the pediatrician for the, you know, the baby checkup and they, you know, they measure their head and they do things. But nobody really checks their nervous system function unless there's something wrong, unless the baby's having seizures or their eyes doing weird things. Yeah. But if the baby looks mm -hmm. normal... And so part of the chiropractic paradigm in the pediatric practice is to check the nervous system to see if there's any injury to the nervous system. One of the number one things that causes damage to the nervous system in the pediatric practice is stretching of the spinal cord. Mm. And so stretching the spinal cord causes almost immediate pathophysiological changes in the nerve. And that's the number one thing that happens during the birth, whether it be a normal birth, you know, a vaginal birth, a C-section, vacuum, anything, there's traction on the neck. Right. 
if there's too much traction and that stretches the spinal cord, it can trigger a neurological response. It's okay. no different than if you have a guitar and you take the tuning fork and turn it, you change the tone of that guitar string. Okay. Well, when you pull on a baby's spine, there's a system that attaches all the way from the tailbone all the way through to the top of the head. And if that gets too tight, it changes the tone and, and changes and the way the I wanna, And I want to say one more thing. I, I totally tell parents to trust their gut because we see this all the time. Usually the mother, she come in, she goes, there's something, my baby, you know, maybe she notices one eye's bigger or, or the, you know, one ear, ear is flared out, or maybe she just notices, well, she some, nurses on one yeah, she notices or... something and she'll go to her pediatrician or whatever. And they go, that's normal. Yeah. That's normal. But, but, but we know that it's not normal or that right. it could be better. So that, and I can't tell you how many that that's, oh, that's, that's all the time. Mother comes in and we do the, we do an exam. We go, and they go, I knew it. Like I saw this. And if, if unfortunately they wait till the child's like four or five, oftentimes, you know, when it's they, when, well, when they're put into like a school system where now they're the, the child's nervous system is called on to do more higher learning, mm. whether to be interact with other children, whether it be to, to sit in a sit or to learn to do anything, um, you'll see the compensations and then they get diagnosed. then they'll get diagnosed with something. And okay. I'm thinking, no, but that mother knew probably before 18 months that something was off right. something was off she could see it whatever it is and i totally trust a parent you know, it's like, like you, i just do I, I just feel like they 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 know that baby they love the baby and they they notice these things so yeah. i i would say in that way the medical profession fails parents it's when they don't when they ignore what, what, what people are saying when they don't listen exactly. and they just well, tell it's them it's fine yeah, it's what you said about you know the person who lifts the bag groceries and hurts their back and says, Hey, what's, you know, what's wrong with me? He said, well, you should take better care. So it's the same thing that happens when a kid goes to school and they're three, four years old. And the, as Nancy said, they have to use more of their brain and they can't keep up. Yeah. And, all, and then they get a diagnosis that ADD or ADHD or they're on the spectrum. And the issue was not that the issue was, is that people miss those milestones that develop. So now the kid is coming to school in a compensatory state and can't deal with the environment because it's an overload in their system. Right. And again, mom knew it mom would you know especially if they had more than one kid she said you know i always knew there was something weird about you know different about johnny and you know another example and just happened a little while ago and mom come in tears she had, had beautiful little baby girl it was three months old when it came in it nursed the first month and then it had trouble nursing and it couldn't latch it was having trouble and for the whole month so the next next month and a half baby wasn't nursing the pediatrician said you know what your baby just doesn't like to nurse maybe you should try a bottle and she came to the teacher oh. my baby can you help me and i'm like yeah we can help she goes i want to try and re you know re-stimulate the process because the baby no longer i it didn't quite have eversion invert Eversion, sorry, eversion to nipple, but it was at the point where it would now choose the bottle because it was easier to get around. And the mom really wanted to reestablish that connection. And the pediatrician was like, you know, don't worry about it. It's fine. You kid will do fine. It's like, I hate that word. You'll do fine. You know, you're fine. <laughs> what does, I don't know what fine means. It's not a clinical diagnosis. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've literally had, I, I did an entire episode on like when people say, well, we did this and my kid turned out fine. Like, fine. no, get, get rid of that. That's a bunch uh -huh. of crap. That's, that's what my mother said about me. <laughs> <laughs> I was a C-section and all these times because you turned out fine. Like, well, maybe not. I'm like, well, ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's just a lack of understanding, lack of education, specifically 
I would love to hear a little bit about your book and why you're sharing this and what you what you want parents to know, what you want everyone to know about what's going on in pediatric care in regards to like their heads and the shapes of their heads and all of that. Because like we already talked about the spine, but it's obviously we talk about the neurological piece too. Well, I would just say one thing, the purpose of the book is that there's an educational process but through education is an empowerment process. And yes. that's really that's really what's underneath it. Like to give you information so that you then are empowered to know what you know and to and to reach out for the resources that make sense for you. Like I think where when people are are just scared or not informed, they make sometimes make poor decisions. Yeah. So the whole purpose of the book, as I said, it came from that that time when I was like, I was so upset when I saw what the toy industry was doing. And and I'm like, wow, they're, they're just making these distorted bodies and heads normal and they're not so that was the and then we had the opportunity to write it because we were we were homebound for uh for three months so i think the purpose of the book came from that like we just want parents to know what is what is normal well the other, the other part of the book is for them not, none of us are perfectly symmetrical that's right yeah so when you look at your child and you see stuff then what we want to do is give you an idea between what is asymmetrical and not causing compensatory neurological problems and what may be asymmetry and maybe causing neurological glitches. So it's not just how you look, but it's how you function how you look. So we, we tie in in the book structure and function. So we look, so if you see some kid whose one eye is bigger than the other and part of their head is swollen in the front layer, what might that mean and what else do you look for? So let's say, for example, it's a two-year-old that has that problem and you see they're having trouble talking. Well, yeah. the speech area, the brain is in, the, in that area of that. So maybe there's a problem there. Or if you have a kid that falls all the time, one of that, that, that man that you were just talking about, one of the reasons he brought his kid in is because she falls all the time. Okay. Well, there's certain per- person places in the head where the balance mechanism is located, like in the, in the temporal lobe. So if you have a kid that maybe one ear flares out really wide and the other one's really flat against their head and the kid's falling all the time, mm-hmm. that means there's some neurological glitch. So what we want to do is tie in structure and function. And that's what we do in the book. And so you look, you look at your child, you see this, and then you say, oh, my child is also not doing X, Y, and Z, or still has retained reflexes, or has it at this milestone. So that's kind of the purpose is that, as I said, is to educate parents, to give them an idea of when things might be aberrant, and then when they should do something about it, you know, and what they, and what are the signs and symptoms that they can be looking for to do that, and then where to go for that, you know, because you can't just, again, that word fine, you know, or they'll, or they'll outgrow it is the worst yeah. because once you start a compensatory pattern basically you're decreasing your potential right whenever you have to make compensation so yeah your kid will be fine or will be okay but what potential was lost so like there's t- yeah there's 10 percent of you know uh, that if we can if you're if we're, everything is perfect then you have 10 percent of your higher centers to make the best decisions but if you're walking around with you know sciatica and and torticollis or whatever your symptoms are that's taken away from you being able to access your higher centers right which is where which is really where your human potential lies which makes us who we are so i think for us it's just um with no judgment as to what someone looks like or what they're what is just like to let people know um, what to look for, what to look for in their own own children, what to look for in, in family members. And th- I think it's a uh, that was the purpose of the book. Yeah, I don't think there's any parent who doesn't want, I shouldn't say any parent, but yeah. most parents. Any, health, any this, healthy parent. Who doesn't want the best for their child. Right. You know, and that's really what pediatric chiropractic is about, is trying to lay down a foundation. That's right. really what we're about. We know in the first two years of life, 
90% of the baseline facts of your nervous system is the, are going to form. So the your potential is going to be laid down in those first two years. And then from two to six, you learn to integrate those pieces of your nervous system. So then by age six, you basically have what you're going to be living with a nervous system for the rest of your life, barring yeah. any traumas. So the whole idea of the chiropractic, pediatric chiropractic, is to basically give that baseline the best strength and the best path that it can have so that you can literally reach your optimal potential. And yes, do we deal with certain symptoms? Absolutely. There are certain symptoms that definitely tend to respond very well to chiropractic care, but it's much bigger than that. It's much more global. We had a, actually, I was just talking to a chiropractor um, on a class we were doing today, and he said, you know, I had one of these babies that came, it was really tight, all wound up, it was crying and never could be soothed, also had reflux, it was spinning up, and because I started adjusting the kid, and all of a sudden the kid's arms opened up and his hands relaxed, his calm goes, but it's still having trouble, you know, it still has some reflux. And I'm like, okay, you know, what am I doing wrong? So you're not doing anything wrong. This is how this child's nervous system was unwinding. So you made a global change. You made a global effect. There are a lot of other things that may be causing that problem. But the whole idea is now you gave that kid a chance to heal. Where before in that fight or flight tight wound up space, yeah. there was no chance. For we that don't we don't heal in a sympathetic state. No. We heal in a parasympathetic right. state. So it's rest and it's rest and rejuvenate is the parasympathetic state. So babies who are being born in a sympathetic state, um, you know, that's not something that we want them to carry through as their pattern through life. Right. And those are the kids that will have the retained primal reflexes. And so there's all all kinds of OTs and PTs doing great work with all of this stuff, but the chiropractors are the ones that work with the nervous system. We work, so, with, the, we work yeah. with the underlying structure. Yeah, we work. So, so we're all for anyone getting repatterned or all, all the things that you may need. You know, speech therapists—they're all great. But I, we have, it's our experience that if, if the nervous system, the glitches are cleared out, all of that stuff goes faster. Yeah, it just—it yeah. just—it's because it's the underlying structure that's being affected. That's just been our experience. Um, and you know, what's interesting is just on a functional level. When you talk about sympathetic and parasympathetic, when you talk about you know fight or flight, rest and digest. So the rest and digest system is located. The nerves for that are located in the tailbone and the cranium, and uh, the fight or flight system is located throughout the spine. So if you're just addressing the spine and not addressing the cranium or the sacrum, the tailbone, then you're not actually putting a lot of input into that rest system or what's called the parasympathetic. That's where cranial work comes in and has become so powerful is that we're actually helping to stimulate or balance that rest system. We're trying to, that's part of the system that turns off that fight or flight. And that's located in the cranium, like I said, in the tailbone. So once you're working on the cranium and dealing with the nervous system in the cranium, you're dealing with basically turning the switch on that calms the system down. Yeah. And I just, I don't think people understand. And I mean, even me personally, before I really, my daughter started chiropractic care shortly after she was born, but I didn't really fully understand how deeply things are connected from the top of the body to the bottom of the body right. mm -hmm. and how there are literally different parts along the entire body right. that will mm -hmm. trigger certain things or different organs. And so right. it's fascinating. And I, I love talking about this stuff because I want everybody to know. I want even like I want people to bring their babies to the chiropractor. Mostly just you guys, no one else. But um, <laughs> there's some really good ones. We've, we've been teaching since 1979. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I, mean, I just yeah. I have a feeling most of the babies are going to outlive me. So. <laughs> Yeah, but so, yeah, we so. do have a daughter who's a chiropractor. Yes, too. we do. She's oh, ready. is she? Yeah. Oh, that's so <laughs> yeah. cool! I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So, um. But yeah, I mean, we really appreciate you having us on and, and talking about these things. It's it's really a passion of ours. It kind of really drives our marriage as well as our profession, and it's like an, an underlying uh, passion of ours. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So. 
Yeah. Well, thank well, you so much for, yeah, thank for you. coming thank on. Thank you so much. For, yeah, I yeah. appreciate it. And, uh, do you want to know where to reach us? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, is, do you have any final words or pieces of advice you want to leave people with before we talk about where people can find you? Sure. I always, my piece of advice I always give, which is the same piece of advice that Nancy just said, um, I've reiterated a number of times, is trust your intuition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't, someone tells trust you. Trust your gut. Yeah, just trust yeah. your gut. You know what? It's Someone asked me the other day, a patient, they said, you know, I have this, I, I need, I want to, my doctor wants me to have this test done. Should I do it? And I said, it's information. Go do it. It's a non-invasive test. So search. If you think there's something wrong, find someone who will help you, who has the skill set to evaluate it and see if you're right. So if you think there's something wrong and your pediatrician or someone else or your friends say, oh, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, and you're losing sleep over it, worry about it. Do something. Find somebody who can help you evaluate and to basically and you listen options. to what you have to say, accept what you have to say, and have a skill set to determine if what you're actually seeing, feeling, and thinking is real and then what options you have to deal with. And I want to say something because I, this whole what he was saying about fathers being protective, I don't think there's anyone more protective than a mother over their baby. That's yeah. just my experience. I think it's a different kind of protection. I think, we would lay our life, I think we would lay down our life for them because we kind of did as we carried them. So I feel like they, it runs both ways. And I totally, totally respect um, whatever. I mean, I just know as a mother or as a parent, this is your child. Yeah. And, and whatever whatever happens to that child, I mean, from the moment you carry them and then birth them and then name them, I and mean, all of that process is such a, uh, I took it very responsible how you feed them. Um, I think the piece about that is that don't give that up. Yeah. Like it's not worth taking a risk and having your child injured in any way by someone else imposing their beliefs on, on you mm-hmm. that will have long-term consequences that you will live with. And, and honestly, we see that in practice as well. We see injured children where, you know, for no fault of the, just bad decisions were made and the child is injured. And, and so that's that I say before you just trust your gut to the point where you seek out the information in the least invasive way that you can get the help. Um, you know, when your child has a, a big problem, then you go get big solutions, but um, yeah. that's my, that's my thing is trust your gut. Don't give a, don't let your, anyone else disempower you from being the best parent that you can be. Yes. Informed decisions and trust exactly. in that gut is exactly. so key. Exactly. Right. Oh man. Well, this has been such a great conversation. So yeah. Would you like to share where people can find you? Um, I'll, I'll include a link to your website in the notes, um, that includes information on your book also. Okay, so if you are a layperson looking to find more about chiropractic or us, you can find us on our office website, which is wellesleychiro.com, and it's W-E-L-L-E-S-L-E-Y-C-H-I-R-O.com. If you're a professional, um, especially if you're a chiropractor and want to learn more about our courses and what we have to offer professionally, then we have two websites. Um, you can get us at Dr. D-R Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, Rosen, R-O-S-E-N.com. And the other one is where all our courses and our books are. You can find them at the peakpotentialprogram.com. Those are the three websites that we have our information. The book is also on all three of the websites. Yeah. It has its own little website. It's called it's all the And if you want to email us, um, best email is the Dr. Martin Rosen at gmail.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank yes. you very so, so yeah, much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. We and still we'll- have <laughs> <laughs> Um, but she looks like you're in more darkness than us. I, I don't know. know. Once, <laughs> once, once it's dark at night, I just I don't like to have the overhead lights on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, it was great talking tonight. Thanks for connecting. Yeah, we'll see you soon. We literally, will we'll see you soon. We will see you on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> right, thanks so much. Thank have you. Good night. Take care.
much for joining us this week, listeners. I really hope you love this episode as much as I did. If you enjoyed it, learned something new, or know someone you feel may benefit from it, please share it with them. Whether you're posting it on social media, sending it in a text or an email, my goal is to open up these types of conversations within our society, within our families, within our friend groups. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, or know someone you think may be a great guest for the podcast, please connect us on Instagram at the Be Loud About What Matters podcast or send an email to be loud about what matters at gmail.com. And if I haven't said it already, if you could please subscribe to the podcast, I would so appreciate it. And also leave a review if it's something that aligns with you and you feel like you want to learn more and you want to keep listening, help us reach more people. I appreciate you all so much and can't wait to chat with you again next week. Bye-bye.